Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? All right, all, if you have been here the last few weeks, we are talking about a few concepts around getting kids to be helpful and cooperate. And it's related to this kind of reading and research I have done around a few parenting books. So one of my all-time favorites, and I have read it over and over and over again, and she, I think I just feel like a lined soul with her because she's a researcher, works for, worked for, maybe still works for NPR, and did research on parenting in ancient cultures and societies. So, so cultures that have been parenting for hundreds of years the same way and seemingly doing it very well because they don't have the same problems we have here in the United States. But the book is called Hunt, Gather, Parent. And Micheline is the woman who, who wrote it. Uh, so a lot of that uh, is embedded into this episode and a few of the past and, and future episodes. And then also there are some texts bringing up Bebe, the Akjung parent, There Is No Bad Weather. So these are books based on German parenting, Scandinavian parenting, French parenting, or accounts of Americans being in these country raise, countries raising their kids. But from all of these texts, I have learned a lot. I have put a lot of information and I'm here to share it with you. So a couple episodes ago, we talked about how to help kids be more helpful. We talked about how to get kids to cooperate today. We were talking about how to get them motivated. So how do we get them motivated to be more helpful? How do we get them motivated to listen better? Tricky, tough. Kids are smart these days. (laughs) The first thing I will say is don't bribe them. I see so many parents in the US and schools too. If you do X, then I'll give you Y. That creates so much extrinsic motivation, and we want them to become independent and autonomous, helpful beings who have intrinsic motivation, not extrinsic motivation. So basically, we want them on the inside to want to behave for us, for themselves, for the way they feel versus getting something out of it. So try not to bribe the kids. If you are going to give them rewards, I would say get away from the like tangible rewards. I work a lot with early intervention preschool age group. And the one thing I tell them is like, no behavior charts, please, for the love of God, get away from behavior charts. Why? Because it's, again, it's that extrinsic motivation. It's that I'm only doing it to earn this thing. And it's not wiring the parts of my brain that need to be wired to make this long-term and consistent. So what can you use as rewards? Because rewards as a whole aren't bad. So a lot of these cultures use rewards uh, like special things, like not 
items, but like a, a special meal. Like they get to choose a dessert that's made or they get to choose a special pastry or you know, go for ice cream. Or, you know, what we know about biological research is that the greatest form of reward is human relationship and attention. So giving hugs, um, just giving undivided attention, those are all beautiful forms of rewards. It's why when um, we talk about like negative attention seeking and ignoring it, when we give attention to those negative behaviors, we're rewarding it because we're giving it the attention our body, our kids' bodies, minds, they like that attention. So it's, it serves as a reward. You can also do more of like kids really love to be on older kids. They love to act like older kids. They love to act older than they are. They love to learn from older kids. So you can praise them with a like statement of your being a big boy or you're growing up or you are learning to blah, blank, 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 like so-and-so, um, that, that is, hits all their dopamine circuits, makes them feel good. They feel older, they feel mature, they feel powerful. So it works well to use that type of, of praise. And when talking about praise, I think in education, especially, and it's a lot at home too, there really are, um, the praise we use isn't super helpful. Like when I think about like when a child like comes to show you something, we overly praise it. And then we praise it like, wow, that's so beautiful. Which is just this blanket statement that's not helpful. Instead of praising the thing they've done, um, instead maybe recognize and praise the like behavior of the choice. Like if a child colored on and, and designed this picture, they occupied themselves independently for a little while. So praise that praise their helpfulness, their independence, their autonomy, because that gets them to keep doing that again. The more you praise it, the more the circuit gets wired in the brain, the more they do that. Because that's what we want them to do, not make beautiful pictures. We want them to entertain themselves. (laughs) And then you could do the same with like, I wouldn't say lack of praise, but like the opposite of praise or like feedback is when they are not doing something that you want them to do instead of kind of punishing them, you can state more of their unhelpfulness and state why it matters or why why that impacted you or the family unit or whoever it was. So you might use a script saying something like, well, that where that wasn't very helpful. Um, if you had blank, then we what? So like um, if they got a bunch more, a bunch of more, a, a, a lot more toys out after you'd ask them to put them away. You might say something like, well, that wasn't very helpful. If you had put away your toys, we could have gone to the park. Um, so kind of stating the natural consequence that happens from their actions that was more unpleasant. Or um, like, let's say we're in a school setting and um, you could say to someone who needs to put their their plate from lunch in the garbage, but went off to play. Well, that wasn't very helpful. If so-and-so had put their plate away, then I wouldn't have had to clean it up and I could have played with you or played with him or played with whoever. Just again, stating what is the the action, the consequence that comes from the behavior that they, they chose. And you can say it to the child, you can say it to another child so that they begin to see helpfulness versus unhelpfulness and independence versus non-independence and, and working towards those things because they're praised for them. 
The other thing I do a lot of is I'm a huge fan of, of values, values in classrooms, values in families, core values, and only choosing like three of them max. And I'll guide and redirect kids with the values and praise the values instead of, again, the kind of specific thing. Um, so for example, uh, if one of our values is respectful, I might say, well, that wasn't very respectful and then state why that matters. Or I could say who isn't being respectful when a child's not being respectful, or if they do something that is respectful, I could say, wow, so-and-so that was so respectful. Um, so that they understand that these particular behaviors fall into these values in the school or in the family. We value these things. I'm praising you. You do more of it. Those values then become something that you internally, internally, again, adopt. Praise is a hard one because we just kind of speak a lot as Americans. We talk a lot to our kids. There's a lot of language, a lot of communication, way more than is needed or necessary. I'm not even sure that we realize how we're praising our kids. So I would test you in in the book, Hunter, Hunt Together Parent, which really talks about kind of recording yourself. So like using your phone to use a voice recorder, you can download one for free and just hitting it and turning it on for a few minutes while you're interacting with your kids and then going back and listening to it. And what I think you'll find is one, you talk a lot. You don't give them a chance to listen or you, you don't give them a chance to talk. We aren't listening. And a lot of times we talk over them or we tell them what to do a lot, or we just don't use proper or helpful or effective praise. So do that, even if it's like one or two minutes. And you know, I think you'll learn a lot. And the one piece of advice in the book is kind of make a game of it. Like, what if you had praise-free days? Like, what if you tried really hard and put up environmental reminders, like sticky notes telling you not to praise your child? Because we, we overly praise in the United States. And, and kids don't need that communication, that feedback all the time. It's a lot. It's overwhelming. Okay, so that's kind of where we're starting. Know about rewards, know about praise, know about threats. That's the do's and don'ts of that particular thing. Now, how do we actually motivate kids? Because those couple things hit on what demotivates kids and what will help to motivate them more. So what are some other things that we could do to get kids motivated? Well, my favorite, my go-to is always that humor and lightheartedness. Make things fun, make chores fun, uh, make a game out of it. And that's pretty easy to do, especially if you let kids kind of take the lead. Uh, I know the one example I think given in the book was the three-year-old was like started throwing the laundry and then the, the Micheline, the mom turned it into a game of like, okay, we can throw the laundry in the laundry bin or in the, the wash or whatever it was like, why not? I mean, it, it gets it done just as fast. The child enjoys it a lot more. They're way more motivated because there's lightheartedness and humor. So take their lead and make things more lighthearted and humor. How else can you add lightheartedness, lightheartedness and humor you can make objects talk. You can make shirts or clothing talk about like, woohoo, put me in the dryer. Can't wait to get warm. Uh, you can do silly body movements or silly body or voice sounds like accents. All of those things will add a level of lightheartedness and humor and that novelty, the, the thing that you don't normally do that you're now doing, again, hits those dopamine circuits, makes kids really happy and way more motivated. And you can find ways to do that too with older kids. It's just what does humor and lightheartedness look like to a 13-year-old versus a three-year-old? The other thing is to really keep motivation is, is make sure that the thing is age appropriate. And, and in the US, we would probably say that a lot of things are maybe 
above a child's age that they could actually do. Like young kids, kids, as soon as they walk, can begin to help with things. But if we do put something that's too big of a task or way, 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 way above them, they might lose interest because it just seems too daunting. So making sure that things are easy enough for them to do, age appropriate for them to do, and think about like at each age group, like what matters to kids. So like with teens, we taught them to do different things than a three-year-old, not even because of like appropriateness, developmental appropriateness, but because of what they're interested in, what matters to them. So knowing what matters to your kids and integrating that into getting them to do stuff. And that leads us to consequences and punishment, which I'm going to go into a lot more in a lot more detail. And I'll, I'll go into the values more later too, but this is kind of just an overview of what are some things that motivate and demotivate kids to, to help and to cooperate and to listen and to learn. So I don't really issue punishments or consequences. I'm not a huge fan of them because my theory and thought is if it doesn't teach the child something, why am I using it? It's a timeout. No, thank you. Do not use it. Do not like it. And the reason being is because it doesn't teach the child anything. Time away, a break, very different. That gives the child an opportunity to gather their emotions, get to neutral and, and walk through it. But just putting a child in timeout and then having them return on for so much time, not helpful. So instead, what I do is I think about what are the natural consequences over the punishments. So for example, let's go back to that toys all over the floor thing. What happens if we don't clean up the toys? What's the natural consequence? Well, if we leave toys out, then they might get stepped on and they might get broken. If we leave toys out, the dog might eat them. You know, whatever it may be that the natural consequence is of leaving something out. If we leave our food on the table, if we leave food on the floor, we'll get ants. Uh, so kind of tell, tell them the truth, tell them what will actually happen. And that will give them a lot more motivation because you're not telling them what to do. You're just giving them information about what's going to happen if they don't do it. So that works a lot better than, than the authoritarian approach of like, if you don't, this is what will happen. I'm going to threaten you. I'm going to give you a consequence. We'll go into a lot more detail on that later, but I want you to think about for motivation, kind of breaking tasks down. How do we get kids to begin to adopt these things and be helpful in the family system or the school system? The book recommends, the Hunt Gather Parent book recommends this model of practice model acknowledge. So we practice the skills, the parents model them or the teachers model them. And then we acknowledge their, their actionable steps. I would actually probably change that a little bit. I would say model it first, do it yourself. Even if you're not asking them to do it with you, just model it and show them how to do it and, and what to do it. And then practice it with them and then acknowledge that they have done it and how helpful that was. The other way that I kind of reword this or the way that I teach it is I do, we do, you do. I let them see it. They do it with me. I guide them and give them some feedback and then they get set off on their own to do it. And that gradual release of responsibility really ensures that it's done correctly. It's done right. They get feedback, they get attention and really helps with motivation as well. So that's motivation in a nutshell, how to get kids to listen and do the things you want them to do. Take it slow when you introduce these things, especially if you haven't before. It is a learning curve and it is a novel new thing that they need time to adjust to. So I'll see too many parents say, you know, it didn't work, give up too fast, stick with it, have grace for yourself, have grace for your kids and go slow. You have to go slow. It takes time to rewire the brain. And that takes us to our listener question, which is, 
what do we do with all these kids who need control? So here's the answer. Control is a product of anxiety. Kids, parents, adults, people feel the need subconsciously for control, to have control and to keep control because they are feeling anxious because something feels out of control. We only seek control when things feel out of control. So what do we do for kids that are needing control, AKA really anxious? We hold space. We label what we see. Your body is telling me that you're feeling anxious because then state what, what tells you that? What's the controlling thing they're doing? It's okay to feel anxious. It's helpful to recognize when we feel anxious. Here's what anxiety feels like. So hold that space for them. And sometimes it might be physically holding them to just let them kind of come down to that anxious state. Because when you physically hold someone who's feeling anxious, you bring them back to the present. And it's the presence that heals because anxiety is a thought of the future. Anxiety is when you're stuck in the future thinking about all these things that could go wrong, could happen, could be bad, that cause fear. So when you physically hold someone or hold space for someone, it brings them back to the present and the present takes them out of that anxious state. The other thing that you could do is you could give them some sense of responsibility. When we feel like we are out of control and we subconsciously grasp for control, when we are given a task or a responsibility, it makes us feel empowered. It makes us feel like we are back in control again. Think about how you could give kids tasks or responsibilities that help them to feel like they have some sense of control. A lot of anxious kids, a lot of kids seeking control, a lot of adults seeking control. So begin to recognize when your child or when you are feeling that subconscious need for control and notice that it's probably a state of anxiety and how do you come out of anxiety? You come back to the present. What brings you back to the present? And that takes us to the next and final step of the show, which is our try to home tip. And it is a presence activity. How do we get to the present? Panoramic view. So I'm sitting in this building overlooking a river and there are mountains in the uh, distance. And when I look out this window and I peer up at those mountains, it gives me a panoramic view because I can see far and wide and I'm above, I'm sitting above everything. That automatically puts my nervous system back into a neutralized present state. That brings me out of anxiety and into the present. Every couple of minutes or every you know 20 minutes, I might go look out the window and just bring my state back from being on the computer so long. So give that a shot when you're feeling anxious, overwhelmed, the need for control, when they need to find presence, go somewhere where you can find a panoramic view. Okay, just step outside. <laughs> make sure make sure it's not outside in a city. And if it is in a city, get up high because you either need to be at a high vantage point or be able to see far and wide. Panoramic view. And that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us Podcast. Remember, I tried a home tip, which is the panoramic view to get back to present. If you're looking for more support in the areas of stress, trauma, behavior, or the brain, I would love to be a part of your learning journey. Behavior Hub offers a range of supports from coaching to training programs to online courses. So if you want to learn more about any of this, shoot me an email on the website or text me at 717-693-7744. And don't forget to lock in what you learned today by applying it right away or at least putting a note somewhere where you'll see it every day, like on your bathroom mirror, car, fridge. So you remember to apply it because listening is great, but it does us no good until we actually apply what we have listened to and learned. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me.